God, I am so grateful to be a part of a church uh, that loves you. Uh, we're not perfect. We're all sitting here this morning uh, unique in our um, uh, uh, viewpoints and struggles in life. There's things that we've got to get through and get over. Uh, but God, you've brought us here under this common goal, this common hope of, of finding you and following you in life. And I pray that today is another step forward in that process for each of us. I pray that as we open your word, that your spirit would speak to our souls and that we would hear from you the things that we need to do in order to follow you better. Get me out of the way, push me aside, speak in my place, uh, but teach us this morning, God, from your word how it is that you want us to live so that you get the glory you deserve. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm learning things about myself uh, here in these middle, hopefully these middle years of my life, I hope it's not the end, but uh, uh, in these middle years of my life, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring out what I like. I'm figuring more and more what, I, what I'm really interested in and here's something I didn't know I'd be interested in. I like figuring out the origins of things that we all take for granted. Like, I just love a good origin story. Like, like you know, uh, we, we just take this particular thing for granted. Like, like, let's say McDonald's. We take McDonald's for granted. It's always been something that I've frequented uh, throughout my life. It's always been there. But uh, how did it get started? I, I found out last year when I saw the movie The Founder. It's a, it's a decent movie. It's not something I'd rush home to watch on Netflix. But uh, but it was interesting because it told the story of how McDonald's became McDonald's. Did you know that Ray Kroc basically stole McDonald's? Oh, I'm, spoiler alert, if you want to see the movie, hopefully. Anyway. Um, but he, he basically stole the concept of McDonald's and created fast food as we know it. He shaped how the culture eats by con uh, combining his ideas with these McDonald brothers that had a restaurant in San Bernardino, California. It's a fascinating story. Uh, the McDonald brothers, if you don't know this, were basically the first ones to uh, you know, make an efficient kitchen. Up until then, it had always been diners and, and uh, girls on roller skates rolling your food out to you uh, after you've uh, sat for a long time and waited for it. But the McDonald's brother says, you know what, we could probably serve a lot more people if we trimmed down our menu. We didn't let anybody order anything specifically. You had to take what it was when it came out in the wrapper. And, and, uh, and then we just put it out as fast as we could, and it totally worked. Americans loved it. And now you can't drive down a a main road in any town without seeing the Golden Arches. And other uh, you know, restaurants like them, they've all ripped off this original idea. And uh, I just love learning that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> speaking of restaurants, uh, my wife's away this weekend. She went away with a bunch of ladies from our church who were involved with a garden to a, uh, basically a camping trip uh, down, down south somewhere. And so uh, it's Cooper and I in the house, my son Cooper and I, and uh, that means we're gonna go out to eat. We're not eating at the house, just so you know. <laughs> Uh, so I let Cooper uh, pick where we eat, and uh, <laughs> Friday night, uh, I, I know what he's going to pick. He, he's a burger guy. He, he likes burgers of any kind, all kinds, and uh, would rather have that than anything else. So I knew we were going to get a burger, but I tried to steer him away from just like the strictly burger places because I like to have a little variety. So we chose Portillo's, and I know some of you are from the Chicago area, and you love Portillo's. I'm like, eh, it's good. It's okay. They got good strawberry shortcake. I'll give them that. It's very good. Try it. It's very nice. But uh, we went to Portillo's, and, but you walk into this restaurant, like so many restaurants like it, and their origin story is on the walls. They got all these pictures of their early beginnings. So I went online to just learn about this particular restaurant, like, uh, like I had learned about McDonald's in The Founder. I found out that Portillo's was started by a guy named Dick Portillo in 1963 in a suburb of Chicago. He basically bought a trailer, okay? He was a food truck before there was food trucks, and he had this trailer that he paid $1,100 for, didn't have electricity or, or, well, I guess it had electricity, but it didn't have water. He had to run off a garden hose 220 feet from a neighboring house so that he could basically do hot dogs. It was called the dog house. Clever. 
But he basically did Chicago hot dogs for Chicagoans, and Chicagoans love their hot dogs, and it, and it just took off. That was 1963, some 55 years later, there's now 53 Portillos in four different states. And have you ever sat in a place like this? I was sitting there Friday night and saying, how did this happen? How did it go from a guy's trailer to this? Well, that's what we're gonna get into a little bit more today. Uh, every origin story, if it's gonna continue and become something greater than what it is, it has to kind of go through a process called scaling. People have to, in franchises, have to figure out what works in this franchise, why is this successful where it is, and then we need to duplicate this in the next places so that this success story can be spread around. It's what franchising is. Take what works and put it in different spots. So that's what Portillo's or any restaurant that has franchises has done. They've scaled, they've figured out uh, what their niche are, what their successes are, and they've replicated it over and over again. Now, some of you are like, are we gonna get to the Bible? Here we go. I love the church. I love you as our church, but I love the idea of the church in a general sense. I've been a part of it since I was born. Um, I'm amazed by uh, how it is God's hope for the world, that the, the local church is God's hope for the world. His good news, his message is gonna come through us and others like us and other rooms uh, in, in this community and around the world that are gathering right now. And there's, I don't know how many thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions, I, don't, I haven't counted, but there's a lot of churches, right? But they can all trace their roots back to this one that we read about earlier this morning. This first church in Jerusalem. And in that first church, we have in this description here uh, from Luke in the book of Acts, Luke wrote Acts, uh, this, this basic template, the basics. This, uh, here's for all the military guys, the SOPs, the standard operating procedures of how church is supposed to work, how it looks. If I don't preach this text to you at least once a year, I'm probably not the very, very good pastor. We, we gotta be reminded of these things. So as we follow in, in, our, in the path that Christ has for us, we remember our origins. And we replicate what was successful in this first church and the church that we share together here. I wanna talk about the basics of doing church right. I wanna answer this question this morning. How does the church know if they're doing church right? We're gonna answer it from this text. It's gonna be a long list. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm gonna let you take notes, but I'm gonna ask you to do some things. I'm gonna ask you to ask some questions of yourselves. So if you don't have something to take notes with, paper, wires, or pen, Grab that phone, take out the notes app. Just interact with me this morning, shall we? It's gonna be a list, and you asking yourself some questions. Here we go. How does the church know if they're doing church right? Well, the first thing we're gonna see right off the bat is that churches, by design, are meant to be devoted. This whole Christian thing's not halfway in stuff. It's not uh, what I do on Sundays. The Christian life is meant to be a devoted life, something that we give all of ourselves to, something that we passionately pursue. That word devoted in Greek is the Greek word proskartero, yeah, sure. It means uh, to stick to something, to be steadfast, to adore and to adhere to to the point of being willing to sacrifice other things. That's what devotion is, right? If you're devoted to something, other things have to go to the wayside. Now, we can be involved in lots of things in life, but we can only be devoted to a few. What God says is that I want first dibs. Have ever said that? Dibs. Have ever said dibs for something? Like the last brownie? Dibs. 
Well, God wants dibs on our lives. He wants us to be devoted. You know, if we think about it, we're all devoted to something. In fact, the things that we're devoted to are the things that we'll say yes to uh, and have to say no to other lesser things so that we can stick with what we're devoted to. Like your jobs, who's got a job? Anybody got a job? Okay, most of us, if we get the opportunity to go do something on Monday, our first uh, funnel, (laughs) our first filter for that is, when do I work? Because I'm devoted to my job because I'm devoted to eating and having a roof over my head. I'm devoted to providing for my family. Does everybody get how our economy works? That's pretty much how this works, right? And so because that matters, it's gonna basically filter out all the other opportunities, and if I'm scheduled to work Monday, uh, you know, eight to five or nine to six or whatever, not a whole lot else is gonna happen in that time, unless I'm the boss and I can move things around. But, uh, uh, but if I'm required somewhere, that, that gets my devotion. We have families that hopefully are high on our priority lists. We have spouses, those of us who are married, that you know, hopefully get you know, close to first dibs uh, in our lives. There's certain things, our kids, our, our other people, our fellow believers, that these are things, listen, if I had to kind of give you the priority list as I see it from scripture, it goes, God, he's way out ahead. For a Christian, God comes way first. Somewhere after that, certainly, if we're married, it should be our spouse. If we're not, it should be our family. If we're married and we have children, it should be our spouse and our kids. Not our kids and our spouse. Did all the married people hear me on that? From there, we move from outside of our nuclear family and our, our extended family to, to the church family, our fellow believers. We should have uh, each other as a priority in our lives. And then, Quickly after that, we should have other people as a priority in our lives. And how many times have I been guilty of putting silly, frivolous things ahead of those in my life? Relegating God, my family, the church, and other people to some lower standing than golf. Or, and there's nothing wrong, golf's fine. Don't, don't, I'm not preaching against golf, it's totally fine. But if it comes ahead of other things that matter, it's not. Just like your job, if it comes ahead of things that matter, it's, it's not okay. It needs to be in its right spot. The church should be filled with people who are saved by the grace of God and their faith in Jesus Christ, but who are devoted to him. Now, the list goes on, but before I go to the next thing, I want you to ask, just ask yourself this question. What, what, are I, what are my priorities in my life? And be honest. Here's the, here's the temptation when a pastor asks you a question. The first answer you almost always give is Jesus because 50% of the time you're gonna be right, right? If a pastor asks you a question, just say Jesus, you're probably gonna be, you know, coin flip on that. <laughs> Anybody agree? Anyway, um, but, the, but here's what I want you to do this morning. When I ask you these questions, don't write down the pat answers. Don't write down what you know you're supposed to say. Ask yourselves honestly, at this time in my life, where do my priorities lie? What am I focusing myself on? Where does God fit in on that list? Be honest. Then compare the original franchise with us here in this church. What should our priorities be? God, spouse, kids, family, church family, people, everything else after that. They devoted themselves to four things, as we see here in verse 42. They devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to learning. They are devoted, uh, as a church, to learning. 
Uh, like it says in, in that verse I just read or quoted to you, they had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching was a collection of uh, probably uh, the words that Jesus had said to the apostles, Peter and the other guys, uh, when they were hanging out with them. Uh, they would pass on those things. So before the Gospels were written some 30 years later, uh, the Gospels were given through the, the accounts of these apostles. They would share the stories that many of us read now in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They would talk about the things that Jesus taught. And gratefully for us, they've been captured in a written form in the Bible. Uh, they would remind everybody of what the gospel is. Like when Paul uh, talks to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, he says, listen, these, these are the things I want you to remember. We, we sang a lot of them in that song we sang, I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son. We, they, they gave the doctrine of the church. But they spent time just drilling on this stuff, making sure that people knew how they were to live and they established this template, this, this idea that Christians are learners. I've heard that used in lots of different books, leaders are learners. Uh, but, but overall, and most of all, Christians should be learners. Anybody here arrived in the whole Christian thing? You got it nailed? Yeah? I, I tell you what, I, I, I say this all the time. I get up here and I preach basically the same five things over and over again. It's like Mexican food. I just rearrange the ingredients. <laughs> Call it something different every day. But, but that, that is the mission of the church, to hammer the truth. Because here's what happens. Some of us, we're just ignorant to it. We don't know it yet. You need to hear it for the first time. But lots of us, probably even most of us in this room, we know the truth and we just forget it. Or we know the truth and we get in a, a, a space in our lives when we choose to reject it. And it needs to be hammered back home into our hearts so that we can live this life according to God and his purposes I'm so grateful for the lessons that I learned and the conversations that I have. I sat down recently with some of the guys on our staff, and uh, we, we broke bread together like we're going to talk about in a little bit. I had a meal. Uh, but almost always when I sit down with our younger pastors, it, it, it goes towards doctrines. It goes towards belief. It goes towards, in this situation, what would you do as a leader? And I think they look to me as their, their boss and their mentor of some sorts to be, you know, uh, helpful. But I can't tell you how often I sit and listen to them, and I'm like, I never thought of it that way. They're teaching me as I'm trying to teach them. That's why we have these life groups, so that you can be in conversations with other Christians, and even though they've maybe not been as you know, much in the faith or as long in the faith as you are, God's gonna speak through them, and he's gonna teach you things about yourself and about your life with God that uh, you wouldn't have learned otherwise. You gotta be constantly willing to learn. In fact, if you're uh, taking notes, would you just take a second, write down three of the lessons that God's taught you in the last six months. Maybe they're reminders, things that you had forgotten, but three things that he just affirmed to you or showed you for the first time. Uh, be in the practice of doing that, constantly catching what you've learned and capturing it. Uh, they devoted themselves to learning. They devoted themselves to loving each other. That's uh, something out that this, this franchise wants us, uh, this model wants us to, to, to continue. It says that they devoted themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship uh, the definite article, the, is not always uh, appearing in some of the translations that we have for our English Bibles, but I think it's important because it basically distinguishes between this general, all y'all, everybody in the world fellowship, and the fellowship, which is the church. The early church was dedicated to itself. We're gonna see that manifested in lots of different ways. But I think it's so important for us to be in relationship with each other. So we get into life groups and sharing each other's 
uh, joys and burdens, walk through life together, listening to each other, being a part of each other's lives. It's so crucial. Christianity is a team sport. It's meant to be experienced in, uh, in concert with other people, loving and being loved, knowing and being known. I, uh, I'm amazed at how much ministry happens outside of my schedule. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like as a pastor, you can appreciate that a lot of times I have counseling appointments scheduled and, and you know, speaking engagements scheduled and things like that that I know I have to be at. But I'm, I'm amazed at how every week it just kind of works out that there's gonna be four or five interactions with people that aren't on my schedule. Because life happens unscheduled. Has anybody noticed this? And so a friend of mine loses his job this previous week. That wasn't on my schedule. But I got to sit down with him and talk and pray with him about that. And that happened well, because we're friends. We're the body. We're, we're, we're not just you know, buddies. We're the church together. When two or more are gathered, God does amazing things. There was three or four other conversations like that. Struggles surrounding businesses, struggles surrounding grief over a death, uh, death of, of a loved one, struggles over marriage. I mean, I had all these conversations this week that weren't on my schedule. And they were possible because I was in relationship with the, the guys, the men that were going through them. Now, we've said from this stage that everybody's somebody's pastor, everybody's somebody's elder, and sometimes the hat gets to switch back and forth. Sometimes I get to be a servant to you and a shepherd to you, and sometimes you're gonna be a shepherd to me if we're in relationship together. The fellowship is crucial. Who are you doing life with here in our church? They devoted themselves not just to learning and loving each other, but they also uh, devoted themselves to looking back. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' uh, apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That breaking of bread there is almost certainly uh, pointing to the Last Supper. It's uh, a phrase that was commonly used of having meals in general together, but but here in this run of kind of more serious, devoted type things, it almost certainly uh, corresponds to this, this Passover feast that had been rewritten by Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. And when we take communion, Travis did a beautiful job explaining communion a couple weeks ago. If you didn't see that message or hear that message, go online and watch it. But when we take communion, here's what's happening. It's a pause in our otherwise crazy and hectic life. It's a pause for us to look back and to remember from whence we have come, to remember the sacrifice that was made for us, for us to remember our roots. It's why it's so important on a day like today when kind of the world is going crazy and then just to the south of us, there's people mourning the loss of children, right? It's so important for us in in a world where circumstances just run amok for us to remember what it is that we believe and to be able to stay rooted in this faith that we've been given. We need to constantly be looking back so that we can move forward, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, in the gratitude of life that we should have as followers of Jesus Christ. The fourth thing they devoted themselves to was the the prayers, and I call that leaning on God. Because prayers are lots of things. We don't have a time to preach a whole sermon or a sermon series on prayer this morning. Uh, But let's, let's at least say this. Prayer is us admitting to God that we can't and we hope that he will or that he can. We know that he can and we are praying or hoping that he will intercede on our behalf. That's what prayer does, at least it does for me, is that when I bow my head, I am agreeing with God that he is God and I am not, that he is able where I am not, and that I will lean on him. I will trust not in my own understanding, but I will lean on him 
and in all my ways, acknowledge and follow his path. How are you doing with this prayer thing? Uh, we season our services with it. Uh, I pray that you're having times in your life groups around uh, just concerted uh, uh, moments of prayer. If you're studying with our kids next door, I pray you're teaching them to pray and encouraging them to. Uh, it's, the, it's the quietest moment in my life group every Thursday morning. Who would like to open in prayer? But here's, here's, listen, this is our hope as a church, that every one of us, through prayer, would understand that it's not us, but it's God. It's not our abilities, but it's God's ability. It's not us moving forward in the power of our strength, but it's us relying and throwing ourselves wholly on what only God can do. Devoted to learning, to loving each other, to looking back, and to leaning on him. That's what a church does. But it doesn't stop there. How does a church know if it's doing church right? Well, they lose their minds in a good way. It's where that, that awe comes in that we talked about. In verse 43, it says, an awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Uh, at that time, as Luke's looking back from history uh, to this period of time as the early church got its, its moorings, its start, uh, there was so many great things. In fact, read the rest of the book of Acts. You'll, you'll read about them. Uh, guys who had never been able to walk were given the ability by God's grace through the words of the apostles to get up and move. Uh, uh, a little bit later in the story, a blind man who had never been able to see was, was given the ability to see. Miracles were happening left and right. The book of Acts details them. Uh, certainly in those kinds of settings, awe would be expected. And some people come to me and Mark, they say, Mark, Pastor Mark, where's, where's the miracles today? How come you can't walk out of here and go walk on the baptistry water out there, that pool out there? Why can't you walk on that? And here's what I say to people. If God wanted me to do that, I could do that. Uh, the miracles are, are recorded for us so that we can put our faith in them even though we didn't see them. But here's what I would finally, or say finally in that conversation. Miracles still happen all the time. We just don't notice them. We're just quick to say, well, that was lucky. What a coincidence. I don't know how that happened. But the Christian's response should always be, look at what God has done. Look at what God has done again. We deserve it not, and he continues to do miracle after miracle. We just gotta get better at seeing them. And if we get better at seeing them, we'll live in this awe that we were prescribed to live in by the early church. I, uh, I got to go through uh, my, my last 12 months of credit card statements, let me tell you why. I'm not a super uh, detail-oriented guy, but I was doing my taxes, and I don't know about you, but there's lots of those tax forms that come in the mail. It's like my, my kids' colleges send me their 1098T forms so that I can deduct that from my, cans my taxes, and uh, I may have thrown those out. I have no idea. Uh, but I don't have them. And I can't get on my kids' websites because they didn't give me their passwords. It's a very frustrating thing when you sit down to do something and you're blocked like that. So I, I, I try workarounds and I figured it out. Hey, I, I pay for this thing because I want to get the miles. I pay for all my kids' college on my credit card and, and then pay it off every month. Uh, so, so I'll just go to my credit card statements. And so I spent, I couldn't remember which month I paid. I had a general idea, but I spent, uh, you know, basically 25 minutes, 30 minutes just looking through everything that I spent this past year. Humbling experience. Everybody should try it. I gotta lay off Chipotle, I gotta be honest with you. 
It, it might be an addiction. I have no idea. But there's a lot of Chipotle on my credit card. But you know what it did? It, it kind of took me back through the last 12 months of our calendar, our, our experiences. And you know what it ended up doing for me? It ended up me just being in awe of God's goodness to us and all the things that he allowed us to do. Like there was expenses you know, for mission trips that I'd been on. And it reminded me of all the great things that happened in these other countries with these other believers that could have never happened except for God and his miracle to us through his grace and through our son, Jesus Christ. And, and I was just sitting there being like, wow. And then I looked at the times that we were on vacation. I saw the charges from these different states. And I got to remember the times we got to spend with family. And I got to appreciate the, the miracle of our families. And, the, and some of us become tough ones. But, but many of us have been given just great people to do life within our families. And I thought, wow. Over and over again. I was just reminded of the wow in God's grace to us as a family and to me as a man. The church is doing church right when they live in that wow. And I pray that you're living there uh, in your life as well. Uh, we also see that the, the early church, they did life together. They, they lived life together. Uh, it says that all who believed were together. That's where I got that from. And they had all things in common. Uh, and they were even selling their possessions and their belongings, distributing the proceeds uh, to all as, as any had need. As we think about living life together, think about um, having an others-focused life. If a church is doing church right, the, the people in it are focused on other people and not on themselves all the time. Right? What's, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And then what comes next? Love others, as you love yourself, but love others. Good churches are others-focused. Because that's what their first church was. It's what every church is meant to be. It's meant to be others-focused. Uh, I, I will confess that I am not always others-focused. Often, I am Mark-focused. I live my life with a big mirror in front of me. And I just walk through and everything I experience, I'm like, how is this going to affect me? What's this going to cost me? Me, 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 me. But in the times where I'm living the Christ life as I'm supposed to, the mirror goes away. And I start having a heart for my wife like I haven't had, or having a heart for my kids, or having a heart for you as a church like I haven't had. I'm focused on your needs. It's amazing when that happens. You know, if everybody focuses on everybody else's needs, everybody gets what they need. And sometimes it's even comical. Uh, this past week, uh, the, the refrigerator in our house was bare. Um, my son eats most of our groceries. Uh, but on this same day, uh, all, four, all, all four of us, there's only three living in my house, uh, all three of us came home from our works having visited a different grocery store. Uh, my wife went to Aldi's, uh, my son went to Publix, and I went to Sam's. And would it surprise you to know that we all got the exact same things? <laughs> uh, we, we had on that night 48 eggs in our house. <laughs> I got the double pack, I was at Sam's, right? Uh, we had somewhere around 50 or 60 apples because I got, Cooper eats apples like, like uh, candy. And, and so I got the big bag at Sam's and he got a big, and, and then we had four loaves of bread, one sitting. And one by one we walked in. And I came in first and I was unloading my groceries and then here comes Eleanor and you know, she's yelling from the garage, come on, I got groceries. And I'm like, I got groceries. She's like, you got groceries, what are you talking about? I got groceries. We're unloading. I can't believe we got so many eggs. And then here comes Cooper. Hey, guys, I thought I'd help out. 
Isn't it silly? But in a little microcosm, that's how the church is supposed to be. Hey, I was thinking of you. And I spent the half hour that it took to pick out these groceries so that we could benefit. That's how the church is supposed to live. And I'm so grateful to be a part of church, uh, of a church, that for the most part does that. Every time I've asked you to give to some need, whether it's shoes for children at our Village of Hope uh, partners in Africa or uh, retiring a debt you know, uh, over three years. I mean, every time I've, I've put the challenge out there for us to give, um, we, we've met it. Now, I suspect that there's some of us who weren't a part of those things for whatever reasons. But there might be some of us here who just don't live life with others and for others. And I want you to know that's, that's our design as Christians. It's who we are as the church. They don't only live life together, but they love life together. It says in verse 46, here in this first church, that day by day they attended the temple together and they broke bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Gladness is a marker of a, of a vibrant church, of a, of a successful church. There's a gladness and this generosity that I've been talking about, but there's this, there's this loving of doing life together. They look forward to seeing each other. Uh, they seek to... To, to do good and not harm to each other. That hasn't always been the case in the churches that I've attended. Factions would form. Uh, this group didn't like that group for whatever reasons. Uh, but listen, churches are always gonna be filled with lots of different kinds of people. Everybody look around. Different folks in here, right? Come from all different places, all different backgrounds. But you know what we should unite around? The things that matter most. And what should matter most to us is that God loves us and we get to love each other and make a difference in each other's lives. Some of you will never cross the aisles and get to know someone from this section because you always sit over there and you guys always sit over there. And that's okay, you don't have to know everybody in your church, but the ones that you do know, you should have this joy, this gladness in their presence. And if that ever gets taken from you, you should work through the process to bring it back to confront and to love and to, to move forward in a deepening of relationship. You know what this really takes, though? It, it takes connection. You know, without opportunities for connection, it's hard to be connected. Ten years ago, you know what the average churchgoer uh, attendance at church was? Three out of four Sundays. It took 12 uh, weeks a year off. Vacations, sickness, whatever. You know what it is today? One out of six. The average churchgoer feels like they're completely a part of a church if they make it to church every one out of six weeks. Uh, lots of reasons for that. You can read the blog post just like I did. It's a more affluent culture. There's way more things going on. Our kids are more involved in stuff than they've ever been involved, and that can sometimes take over a family's life. We broadcast this on our website. And do that for lots of reasons. We'd love for people who are unable to come to church to be able to come to church. But here's one of the dangers of just kind of settling uh, for bedside, you know, uh, Baptist, we used to call it growing up, is that you miss out on this, on us, on opportunities to be around each other, to connect with each other, to serve each other. Those have always been a part of the church. The church has never been about isolating or fragmenting. It's always been about gathering and being together. So we'll keep pumping this thing out on the internet, but I hope you don't use the internet as an excuse not to be around the crowd. The crowd needs you, and you need the crowd. 
as challenging as relationships can be sometimes, they are vital to the Christ life. We need each other and should be looking forward to seeing each other. The last thing in this, the run of uh, this list is that uh, the churches that do church right, they look good to those outside. It says here of this first church that the, uh, the, the church inhabitants were praising God and they, they had favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day. Uh, when the people outside of the church were asked about the church, they were like, thumbs up. I mean, I don't necessarily believe in the carpenter like they do. But you know what? When, when it came time for me to meet my needs in this particular month, uh, they sold their stuff and they were generous, not just with those inside the church, but it says there in the verses that we just read earlier that they were generous with all, Ponta, everybody. And so even though I don't necessarily agree with what they think, I appreciate the fact that they're willing to make a difference in my life. That's what we have sought to do here as a church. We wanna be involved in our community, whether it's through Women's Resource Center, Feed the Bay, uh, Cold Weather Shelters, I Am Hope Cafes, there's all these different ways that we as a church can reach out and touch our community, and we will continue to do that. Why? Because it's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to be a difference maker in the culture that we live in. We should constantly ask ourselves, if we as a church cease to exist, would anybody in the culture notice? And if the answer to that question is ever no, then we gotta switch some stuff up. Because I want people to know that even if we don't agree theologically or morally or whatever, that we as a church love them. We, want, we are for them and we wanna do whatever we can to assist them in life. Well, what happens when a church does church right? Well, the Bible tells us, the Lord adds to their numbers. Look at that verse again, Acts 2.47 says that they praised God and they had favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Pretty amazing, How does it, what's, what's the church, church growth plan? Here in the early church, it was the church was the church. The church did the church thing right. And people were drawn to it. People were amazed by the presence of Christ in the early Christians. So much so that day by day, people were like, I'm in. Whatever this is, I'm in. I want some of that. Because Christians acted Christian. And the church stood out because of the presence of Christ in it. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't answer one more question for you. How does God add people to his church? It tells us in the verses just prior to this, and so let me close by saying these things. God adds people to the church by the sheer fact that someone shares the gospel. I didn't go into the, the prelim of, of, of this description of the other church, but if you read uh, Acts chapter two, it's the story of Pentecost. Pentecost just means 50 days. It's 50 days after the ending of Passover to the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, the uh, disciples were instructed to take most of that early following, there was probably about 120 folks that were kind of around the story, the, the seed plant uh, of the early church, and they went up to this upper room and the Holy Spirit visited them, and if you know the story, they came out of the upper room and they started speaking in languages that they didn't understand, which would be really cool to see, and all the people who spoke those languages, it tells us in Acts chapter two, gathered around, and there, there was basically this massive crowd in the city of the streets of, of Jerusalem on this festival day, this harvest festival of Pentecost, and Peter got to share the gospel. He preaches one of the greatest messages that's recorded in all of our scriptures, and he explains to people, listen, this guy that you killed, he's the Messiah. And he came so that he might save your life and save you from your sins. And it tells us in the, in the summary verses of that, that sermon that, 
that Peter, uh, with many words, bore witness and continued to exhort them and said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. How do you and I sit here this morning as Christians? Someone, someone told us about Jesus. Could have been a pastor. Could have been Billy Graham on a radio. Could have been uh, a, a Sunday school teacher. Lots of us, it was our parents because we grew up in a Christian home. But listen, the way you and I were converted to this faith is that someone said, you know what? You, you need Jesus. You really need to check him out. He's a difference maker in my life, and you need him too. And they explain the gospel, and well, the Holy Spirit prompted you to believe in what you believe, and the veil, as it tells us in Hebrews, was removed, and you could see the truth, and you followed in faith. And it was all started because someone opened their mouth. And so listen, we could sit in here, and we could do all the church stuff that I just told us to do, and I pray that we do. Don't miss that. I pray that we do. But if it stops here, if it stays here, and if we don't go out there with the heart for sharing what God has done in us, the transformation that he's made in us, and we don't share it with, listen, the church isn't gonna grow. Now we might have people get angry at this one church and show up here, if that's how you got here. I'm sorry that happened, but we're glad you're here. Heal. But listen, if you're here, let's be a part of the mission to reach a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what that's gonna require is you and I saying something. Look what it says. It, 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 he bore witness, and he continued to exhort them. It's like Peter was like grabbing guys by the shirt saying, no, don't leave. You really need Jesus. He just kept going and kept going. A lot of times, you know what, I, I read the statistics this week, varying, you know, uh, summaries or varying polls say different things, but in one poll, a thousand or 100% of a thousand people who called themselves evangelicals said, yes, the gospel is my responsibility. I should be sharing the gospel. Every one of them, 100%, they were well-trained. But when asked how often did he have you shared the gospel uh, in the last uh, year, a full 50% of them had never done it. I think uh, 30% of the 20% were lying. Because <laughs> they don't want to, well, you know. And he here's my thing. We'll talk about all kinds of stuff. We'll share uh, our passion for Slim Clips. I've told you about the Slim Clip before. It's the greatest wallet ever. My newest thing is the Thompson tee. It's a t-shirt where, guys, your pits don't sweat. It's amazing. You gotta get one. I'm wearing one right now. Look. <laughs> right? And I'm, I'm sweaty up here. You gotta know. This is, this is a hot job. But we'll talk about that stuff. We'll talk about a great restaurant we ate at. We'll talk about the best movie we ever saw. We'll share that with anybody, anytime. You just start us. What is it with us that we can't talk about the greatest thing that's ever happened to us? What is it with us that the gospel, the faith that we have in Jesus Christ that has revolution, not just our now, but our future forever, how does that kind of get relegated to, oh, we don't really talk about that, religion and politics, you know, da, 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 Here's my prayer for us as a church as I close. I pray that every one of you this year, whether you want to or not, I pray that one of your friends comes up and just corners you and says, you gotta tell me about Jesus right now. Wouldn't that be great? I think that would be great. I'm gonna pray that. I'm gonna pray that every Baylifer gets cornered this year and that you are forced to share the gospel with someone or they won't let you go. It's like a, it's like a gospel kidnapping, I don't know, something like that, right? But short of that, here's my prayer. 
My prayer is that we would live according to what the church is described as there in Acts 2, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. May we do all those things. Be devoted, learn, love, uh, look back, uh, all those things, all those L's that I said. But here's my greatest hope. That all these chairs that you see, that someone would be in them this time next year. They'd be sitting next to you because you, by the grace of God, were given the opportunity, just like someone did with you, to share the truth and to see someone come home. We do this thing. I'll close with this. Stay with me, camera. When I first got here, we put these holes in the wall right over here. There's one over there as well. Can everybody see me? Hi, I'm over here. It's kind of hidden behind all these tables, but it says names in the wall. Today I want to start this again. We say names in the wall because uh, in Jerusalem there's a wall that the Jews pray at on the, at the foot of the temple. And what they do, I've actually been there, they take prayers and they write their prayers out and they shove them in the cracks of the mortar of the wall of uh, the temple in Jerusalem. They're their prayers to God for the restoration of the temple to Israel. But years ago, my old church did this and we stole it from them. And for us, it's become this symbol of we're praying for this person or these people, it could be more than one, that, that we're committing to pray for them and praying for the opportunity to share God, the gospel with them. They're, they're gonna be our mission field this year. So my last thing for you today is take one of those Ask God uh, you know, markers and before you leave, I know it's gonna be a, you know, a crush, a rush, go get your kids, come back, do whatever you want, I don't care. But write down the names of some people or a person that you're asking God for the opportunity to share your faith with and then put it as an act of commitment, an act of promise to pray for that person and to pray for the opportunity to share Christ with them this year. Put a name in the wall. Let's just see what God does. You know, uh, many of the stories of these have come as a result of someone just saying, you know what, I'm gonna be available. I'm gonna trust God for the opportunity. We're gonna see what happens. That's all I got for you. Let me pray. Hey, Lord, thanks so much for this chance to be reminded of the church and how we're supposed to live and how it's supposed to work. Uh, would you, God, grant us your grace in moving forward in the things that we've uh, seen described here in the uh, book of Acts? Uh, if we are um, uh, kind of out of whack with uh, these standard operating procedures of the church, lead us, Lord, into alignment with you and your purposes for us as your followers. Help us to love each other, help us to learn uh, help us to be generous in thinking of each other. Help us to be lights, God, to a world of darkness that desperately needs you. Make us a, a mightier church. Thank you for all that you've done for us. You have, you've given us so much. I don't want to preach a message that makes us feel like we haven't been much for you, but there's so much more that we could do. Lead us into those things, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.